It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. If anybody in their right mind is worried about Jalen Brunson translating the next level, then they didn't watch him play. I believe their team is destiny, man. I really do not think that they're going to be denied. Whether it's the fight Bills, the Birds, the Fly Guys, the Process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. Stop feeding John me to car bombs. Run the ball, control the clock, don't do anything stupid. And John Mita. Kids out there, make sure you practice your free throws. Dear God, give me an interview with the Eagles scouting department. I know I could be better. Yo, yo, yo. It is the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe O'Donnell, John Mita, SoundCloud, iTunes. Holla at your boy. Follow us on Twitter, at Love Podcast. Here is your Jalen Brunson update. That's not really aging that well, my part of the intro there, saying he would translate well to the pro game. However, however, Jalen Brunson not getting a lot of run, as we talked about a couple podcasts back. He is averaging... Uh, almost seven points a game, couple of rebounds, couple of assists. He's played in 49 games, and he plays about 18 minutes a night. You double that, say he played 36 minutes a night, now he's averaging 13 a game and maybe a handful of boards. Eh, it's not so bad. But there's your Jalen Brunson update. Johnny Mita, how are you? Well, I mean, just to piggyback on Jalen Brunson, keep in mind that the Tristap Sports trade, the one that sent him to Dallas, kind of opened up and paved the way because Dallas sent the services of Dennis Smith Jr. to the Big Apple. So that means Brunson will now become the starting point guard for the Dallas Mavericks. There you go. And the backcourt with Luka Donitz. So that might come to fruition. He might start playing about 36 minutes a game. All right, all right. Maybe I won't change the open quite yet. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in here on SoundCloud and iTunes. Joe Donald, John Mita with you. We're going to talk a little Villanova basketball, some Nova Nation, some hoops for you. We're going to uh, dive into the free agency situation baseball, the Bryce Harper uh, Bryce Harper saga. I think it's fa- uh, safe to call it a saga at this point. We'll talk a little bit about NFL free agency, which is on the horizon. And Colin Kaepernick reaches an undisclosed settlement with the National Football League. We'll touch on that, plus a little, damn, that's tacky. Johnny Mita, I'll uh, kick things off with this, the free agency uh, saga, the carousel Maybe taking a step forward as Manny Machado reaches a deal with the San Diego Padres. I don't know how many people had the Padres as the leader in the clubhouse for Machado. If you did, you probably want a bunch of money in Vegas. Ten-year deal, $300 million. Probably better for Machado to be out of the major market limelight, given the fact that he can be a bit of a head case. He's a four-time All-Star. He ain't coming to Philly. He goes to San Diego uh, don't want to spend too much time on Machado. I guess your thoughts on that. And then let's dive into Bryce Harper and when the hell he might sign and if the destination is really going to be Philadelphia. Well, I mean, this is just, you know, like I said before, you needed one of these dominoes to fall. Um, the fact that Manny Machado signed today, I mean, that clears the way. Of, okay, now the Harper deal should take place in the next few days, right? I mean, it's only a matter of time. Scott Boris, you know, his head's about to be the size of Jupiter, so you know he's going to want to beat that $300 million deal. So the Phillies are faced with a dilemma here. It's going to be how much more are they going to have to give up? Obviously, they're going to have to exceed that $300 million mark for 10 years. And the other 
story that kind of came out is that is that Bryce Harper, apparently, according to an article that I guess was put out by the New York Daily News or the New York Post, is he's not too comfortable with playing in Philadelphia, which, again, I don't understand. And, you know, a good friend of mine raised a good point today saying that, you know, basically because, like, if he doesn't perform at a high level, getting paid that much money, he will probably get roasted in Philadelphia. So, well, what the hell does he expect? It, that should be the standard uh, any city. I don't care where he's playing. He could be playing on Jupiter. If you don't I, perform, I, I, you should be criticized. That's what you – you sign up for that when you become a pro athlete. Well, no, no question about it. And if you want to get paid like the number one player in baseball, then you're going to have to bring it each and every day. And I don't think he'll get killed as long as he shows that he's playing hard. So here's the other deal. It's like, you know, where does he want to live? Where? I mean, this is a big decision, right? So once you – baseball, you're kind of – basically like an indentured servant for like the first, you know, six to eight years of your career. And then you get to that point where you're finally eligible for free agency. And now it's your time to strike and talking about a 10 year deal. I mean, that pretty much will almost pretty much come close to maybe the wrap up of a career. You're talking, I guess he's 20, what, six now or 25. So then that will put him in the 35, 36 range. So it's a big decision. I'm sure, you know, but the bottom line is, you know, what do the Phillies do? Do they have to blow them out of the water? There was talk that the Nationals were willing to give them $300 million for 10 years, but now they've kind of added some pieces in free agency. Do they still have that money available to them? You know, you look at the teams are still in the running. San Diego was in the running for Harper. Now there was talk in San Francisco. Do the Yankees kind of backdoor in, as usual, you know that, the evil empire up there in New York, who knows what they do? So, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of days to see what teams are still in it. If you listen to the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies today, Matt Clintac, there were several times that he was quoted. It sounded like the Phillies have given their best offer and they're ready to walk away at the table. Now, is that posturing? Is that just to let the agent know, listen, you know, here's what we're going to do. Take it or leave it. And then better luck next year. And let's go get Mike Trout. So, that's kind of what, what the outlook is looking. I still think they have a really good chance of getting a guy like Bryce Harper. And as much as some of us might not like him on this podcast, uh, he would definitely increase the Phillies' chances of being a contender in the National League. Thing. Let me ask you this. Do you want him? Forget the money. Forget the – well, I guess you can't forget the term. Bryce Harper on your baseball team for five to seven years before the contract starts to look stale or – Oh, man, what do we do here? Do you want him, yes or no? I say yes, and here's why. Just because the way this guy hits, like the way this guy hits I mean, he ball, hit 249 last year. I understand that, but if he plays 80, what is it? If he plays 81 games at Citizens Bank Park, he's probably going to average 40 home runs a year and 115 RBIs. How could you not want that in your lineup? I agree with you. His batting average has suffered over the last couple of years. And again, what is that attributed to? Is that attributed to maybe there's not people in front of him or behind him that are just not, you know, contributing? Could be a possibility. Is he not focused? I don't know. But if you can get one of the premier players, the other thing you got to take into account is he's a pretty good defensive right fielder as well. He's got a hose for an arm. You know, he can make big catches out there. So, yes, I want him. You know, is it a hefty price to pay? Why not? But this is what we've been waiting on, right? It's like following the Sixers. 
right? The Phillies have been dressed for years. We just sat through years in the stadium. We, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies set a t- an attendance record for this how many sellouts in a row, and then baseball kind of just died in this town, and it would just it would bring some life back. This process has been grueling. It's been frustrating. It's been downright damn annoying. But if Bryce Harper resigned with the Phillies in the next couple of days. I'm sure a lot of Philadelphia would be pretty excited for this team moving forward. And I think they should be excited anyway, even without Bryce Harper. And look, I know last year was a first-place team for a long time, and nobody seemed to give a damn. The fans weren't turning out droves, but there was really nobody to be excited about. And so you could argue, in some respect, as soon as you sign Harper, boom, excitement. But I would look at the other moves they made this offseason and say this baseball team appears to have gotten way better, and they have younger players. Adding Bryce Harper takes time away from those younger players. And I'm not saying that's, you know, a terrible thing because you might not be a Nick Williams or an Aaron Altair fan, and I get it. Bryce Harper is an improvement over both of them. And yes, to your point, he is 26 years old. It would basically take him through the end of his career. However, I'm not a big believer in rushing the quote-unquote process. And it feels like a move like this certainly accelerates the process. And could it make you a contender? Yes, Could it make you more entertaining? Yes. Does it make you the talk of the town? Yes. And I know that the ownership group sees the dollar signs. And I know Boris has been selling everybody on, you sign my guy for $300 million, he's going to bring that back for you. No problem. Box box office-wise, so to speak. Ticket sales, merchandise, endorsements. Philadelphia will be back on the baseball map. However, the things I don't like about Bryce Harper, and granted I'm extremely biased because he plays for a hated rival in the Nationals, and the whole Cole Hamels dust-up from years ago I still haven't gotten over. But I just don't like this guy's swag. I don't like his, his M.O. And again, I've only seen him from afar, and he was on a rival, so obviously I'm biased. But I just don't know if he's the right culture guy for the clubhouse. He automatically becomes a leader in your clubhouse when you add him. There's no other way around it. He's automatically the face of the team. There's no other way around it. And so all of a sudden, you just change the dynamic of your clubhouse, and I hope the Phillies have done their homework, and it's not just ownership saying the checkbook's open, get him in if you can. I hope that Gabe Kapler and the rest of that crew there have gotten a sense of whether or not he's a good teammate. Look, in baseball, you li- like you talk about sports being a family. 162 games is a goddamn grind. There's no getting away from each other a lot of times. You got a bad apple or a guy who thinks it's all about him or should be all about him, you start to run into problems. And he hasn't always been the best teammate from a public perception. We've seen dust-ups. Papel Bond's a jerk, yes, but him and Harper got into it. That wasn't the only incident there in D.C., So Bryce Harper is an alpha male. He's going to come in, and it's going to be about him. And he's going to have a lot of pressure if he signs a big-time deal with whichever team it is. And if he doesn't deliver, Philadelphia's not a good spot to be. And we saw the city, you know, the city has turned on guys with way more resume and prestige and Philadelphia tradition and heritage than Bryce Harper has had. Obviously, hasn't played for the team yet, so... They'll turn on you very quickly if you don't produce. And I fear for that. And I also fear for the whole clubhouse and the personality and the persona that comes with this guy. And it just makes me want to stay away. The team's better than they were. And they should have made the playoffs last year. They folded down the stretch. So what do you do? You get better. Should they be in the postseason this year? Probably. Especially if Harper leaves the Nats. That weakens them. 
And I, you know, the Atlanta Braves, whatever. You can win the NL East with the roster they have right now. I really believe that. So we'll see what comes out. I'm not a big fan. I've said it before. But this whole process is driving me crazy. You talked about it weeks ago. Hot stove. What the hell? What's taking so long? Now I'm just annoyed by it. Every three days, today's the day. Look at this sign. It's an apocalypse outside. You know, uh, uh, Pluto rotated twice. Harper's going to sign. Like, what the hell? I don't get it. It's been boring. It's been rumor after rumor. People trying to get their names out there. I heard from this guy. Tomorrow it's going to happen. I heard he was at the airport. Like, I'm tired of it all. I really don't care anymore. I'd rather him not sign. If he does, just get it over with, for crying out loud. Well, I mean, one of the rumors was that, uh, you know, he was going to move right into Nick Foles' house. So, uh, we got to get Foles out of town. (laughs) Oh, man. Harper was at a Wawa in Chester. I saw him. He's going to sign tomorrow. Like, come on. Another good one was his wife was playing quiz at the Northeast or something. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Give me a break. Anyway, let's shift gears. Uh, The... Villanova Wildcats are starting to gear up for a run into March. They are 17th in the country. They lead the Big East. They play Georgetown. By the time most of you are hearing this podcast, they'll be taking on Georgetown. Then they've got a game against Xavier, and then a big showdown against Marquette, who's also ranked. That's coming uh, towards the tail end of February, and that is at home. Johnny Mita, I always defer to you. Break it down. Nova Nation, what do you got? Well, I mean, let's. You know, kind of, I'll kind of give a quick synopsis of the Villanova's year so far. And keep in mind, everyone, that this is a team that lost four players, you know, in the top 33 picks in the NBA draft. So when you have that much roster turnover, the following year is just, you know, you're kind of set up and they won the national championship. So you kind of think that it's going to be a, a building year, somewhat more of a down year. But you know, the services of the, the two seniors, you have Phil Booth and Eric Pascal, the two team leaders that were playing an integral role on last year's national championship team, they've really stepped up. You know, early on, Villanova was kind of, you know, they're kind of feeling themselves trying to find a way, trying, you know, Jay was trying to find out what lineups work, who's going to be his starting five, who's he going to bring off the bench, and it was kind of a lot of trial and error. Early on, they opened up the Finnerdam Pavilion, and they got blasted by Michigan by, like, 40 points. They ended up losing to a team called Furman, which everyone's like, who the hell is Furman? But they were kind of somewhat of a decent team. But i got to be honest. I mean, this team has really grown. They went on, like, pretty much like an 11-game, I think it was like 10-11 game winning streak, and they've just grown. Now, the one weakness is, you know, they live and die by the three ball. <laughs> like, pretty much... Out of anyone in the country, they shoot the most. And sometimes when they're not hitting their shots from behind the arc, they kind of struggle. They t- they suffered a tough loss against St. John's on Sunday, a game that they were dominating in the first half. And the St. John's hit this prayer of a buzzer beater to end the half, kind of gave St. John's a little momentum going into the second half. And their seniors just kind of came up. They took some bad shots late. They, they turned the ball over way too much. But – Right now, the Cats, I think their their record is they're 20-5, and five, so obviously they will be NCAA tournament bound. They have a tough stretch of games coming up. they got to play Georgetown. they got to play Marquette. they got to play Butler. So there are going to be some biggie showdowns late down the stretch here, and you're going to really find out what this team is made of. Um, I, I kind of see them as like a 4-5 or five seed. So because of the way that goes, then you're, you're looking at like the 4-13 matchup, the first round. And the five versus twelve, which is always a dangerous upset game, 
But I kind of see, you know, if, if for me, the ceiling for this team, I, I really think they have a good opportunity to make the Sweet 16. But I think kind of that's where the end. They're just not loaded enough to take it any further. But, again, it is March Madness. Anything could happen. But overall, this, this could be Jay Wright's, you know, best coaching job. It's just incredible that the culture that this guy brings to the table. Villanova is one of the, you know, now premier programs in all of college basketball. They have a great recruiting class coming in next year. A couple McDonald's All-Americans and like, the top 20. Um, but it's just amazing what Jay has done with this group. They've, it's some, you know, they kind of were victims of so much, you know, turnover as far as kids leaving to go to the NBA. But they've really come back strong, and and they proved again that they are the end all be all in the Big East. You know, they're the big dog in the Big East. So that's always a good sign. Um, but all in all, it's been a great year for Villanova. It's been great to watch them how they've grown. You know, people were. After they had a couple of early losses, we're kind of skeptical. Is this team going to make the tournament? And then they just grew as a bunch and just went on an absolute tear in a roll. And uh, it was really good to see. How much can this experience and some of the younger guys, as you said, the team's growing, you're going to lose Booth and Pascal at the end of the year, as you touched on, due to graduation. How much, though, will the younger core, do you think, take that next step? Like, I guess project out the next couple of years for Villanova and how you see it progressing. Well, I mean, you know, obviously when you bring in a recruiting class, but it's always good. You know, that's the one thing about this Sismal Nova's program a lot of differently than, you know, the likes of Kentucky and Duke where, you know, they're getting all these one-and-done players. And they have a great system of how to kind of integrate and how they do things. But the one thing with Jay is he gets guys that stick around for at least two years minimal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He really, in his, in his tenure as Villanova Cat, a coach, there hasn't been that many one and doneers in Jay's career, which is, you know, again, it's just, you know, it's emblematic of, of where the program is and the guys, the type of guys they bring in. But to get this experience for the young guys, just to play in the NCAA tournament, you, and it's invaluable to play in the Big East tournament. You know, that's a beautiful thing with these conference tournaments is you get a taste what a one and done situation is like. And um, it can only help the team moving forward. And, you know, they bring in a great recruiting class to go with some of the guys that are aging on this roster, the guys that will be leaders next year, starters. Um, the one guy that I'm kind of disappointed with Jay with, and, you know, it's, they stole McDonald's All-American. His name's Javon Quinterly from Arizona. During the course of the year, people might not know this, there was kind of, kind of gotten into some trouble with social media saying that, you know, this is why Bill Nova was the second choice because he wasn't really happy with his playing time. They've seen to iron that out, but this guy brings a different dimension that no one on the team has. He's so good with the ball. He's so fast and explosive. And I would just really like to see this guy play, like, between 12 and 15 minutes a game. I just don't think he's getting a fair shake. And he just brings something to the table that some of the other guards coming off the bench just don't. So if I have one gripe with Jay, it would be I'd really like to see Javon Quinterly get some more minutes. But, again, like you said before, you know, this experience, going into these tournaments, playing in these big type of games, it, it's huge. And, and it just goes to show, you know, Jay Wright is, you know, one of the top coaches in the country. I mean, you got to put him up there with the likes of Coach K, with the likes of John Calipar, some of the great coaches in the game. I mean, he won two national championships in three years. That is so hard to do, especially 
when there's so much turnover with kids coming in and out of your program, it's just truly amazing what this guy's done. And hopefully, you know, he stays at Villanova and becomes like, you know, the Dean Smith of Villanova. That would be awesome. So, yeah, that's pretty much the Nova update. Go right. Cats. Good stuff, Johnny. Man. Go Cats. Love it. Love it. And uh, they got Georgetown on the horizon next. All right, let's shift gears to the National Football League. Free agency right around the corner. I've got some names for you, Johnny Mita. Are you ready? Hit me. All right, I'm going to start with a, uh, a skill position. Give you a little bit of a sexy, a sexy free agent for the Philadelphia Eagles. How about John Brown, the Baltimore Ravens, wide receiver. He's 29 years of age, five touchdowns last year. He's a deep threat, and he might be a nice piece for the receiving core, at least in my estimation. Big John Brown guy here. So I'd like the birds to target John Brown. Another Raven, C.J. Mosley, might get franchise tagged. Started 77 of the last 80 games over five years. Linebacker need could become more of a, a prevalent thing for the birds if somebody like Jordan Hicks walks in free agency. Like to see the birds take a flyer on C.J. Mosley if the Ravens don't franchise tag him. Another guy defensively, D. Ford in Kansas City. It looks like the Chiefs are going to franchise uh, one of their top linebackers in D. Ford. But if not, certainly a guy that I think the Eagles should take a look at. And then offensive line, you know, is it Jason Peters, swan song? Is he gone? 25-year-old Trent Brown just won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. He only gave up three and a half sacks last year. He's slated to become a free agent again pending the franchise tag. And I'll leave you with one more name. John Mita, for the Birds to explore in free agency. It's that backup quarterback position. And Teddy Bridgewater was down in New Orleans this year. Didn't get much run, obviously, with Drew Brees. I think he's healthier, obviously. Now a couple years removed from that devastating knee injury. He has some mobility. He certainly has experience. He's been on a couple of different staffs now on a couple of different offensive systems. And so if the Eagles are looking for a backup to Carson Wentz that's you know got a little bit more run, a little bit more game than Nate Sudfeld, like to see them take a look at Teddy Bridgewater. Your thoughts on pending uh, free agency for the Eagles and some names maybe to keep an eye on? Wow, man, you got a lot of names there. Yes, yeah, certainly there's uh, there's going to be some movement. You know, I'm with you. I think um, offensive line they got to make a huge decision with Jason Peters. You know, do you resign? Do you try to move up? You know, the project Jordan Maliana, does he get a start? I mean, that would be interesting to see. The also uncertainty, too, is at the guard position. You know, how long is it going to take Brandon Brooks to come back from that, you know, what it really have, a twin Achilles tendon? Yeah, good so, point. Yep. So so then you go out and you sign a guard at free agency, like a guy like Earl Warford from Cleveland. I don't know. But um, another position, you know, you look at guard. The other thing is, like you said, Jordan Hex linebacker. I love T.J. Moser. I, I don't think Baltimore lets that guy get out of town. I think they find a way. I know we were also talking about John Brown, free agency. You need that deep threat. Why not a reunion with Deshaun Jackson? Slippery D comes back to town. No, probably not. But anyway, I would also look at, you know, a running back. You know, this is a huge position in need. So two guys that look are on my list, and I know this guy's hated by many Eagles fans, but if he's wearing your team's color, maybe a guy like Mark Ingram or um, the other guys, the, the guy from the Falcons, Kevin Colvin who uh, is a pretty good player. You know, he's kind of split the duties with uh, who's it, Freeman down there. Yeah, but do you, do you think, Tim, and, and yes, I hate Mark Ingram with a passion, so beat it, keep right. him away from town. But do you think Tevin <laughs> Coleman can carry the load? I mean, he's never really gotten the chance. You mentioned Devontae Freeman down there gets, you know, unless he's hurt for the most part, he's their number right. one. Right. 
what we've seen with the Eagles is, is this running back rotation. And yes, it helped them do a Super Bowl uh, two seasons ago. But we just, the, the birds for a long time now have not, since LaShawn McCoy and then prior to that, Brian Westbrook really haven't had that 1A. I mean, think about all, or that number one guy. They've had 1A, B, and C. I mean, think about the, the Bryce Brown era where, you know, and Wendell Smallwood seems like he, he just keeps getting nine lives and. You got Clements sprinkled in and Josh Adams this past year. But for a couple of years there, really after Shady McCoy, it was sort of a, a rotation at times. And a lot of people think the birds need to just find that bell cow. Isn't the best way to do that the draft? I mean, I'm all about drafting. I, I not only think you draft one, but I also maybe think you sign one of free agents. I think you basically need to rebuild the whole backfield. Again, you don't know what you're going to do with J.H.I. He's coming off a torn ACL. If you bring him back on like a one-year deal. I don't think so. I think you got to move on. And I, yeah. I love J.H.I., obviously, partial. Um, right. But, you know, if he's, again, if he's part of a, I just don't know if he's part of a rotation. I think, yeah. and you can't take the chance of only bringing him back, right? Making him the guy with, you know, some right. uh, some younger guys sprinkled in. You need a presence that well, right. you know you is going to carry the can carry the ball twenty times, and you don't know what you're going to get from Darren Sproles if he decides to retire or not. I'd like to see them obviously bring him back in some capacity, but they have a lot of just question marks at that position right now. Um, for folks out there listening here on the Brotherly Love podcast, basically teams have until March fifth to put that franchise tag or transition tag on players, and then you get in the the second week in March, March eleventh to thirteenth. You start to get that ability where clubs can t- contact uh, agents of players. And from there, it's game on. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, a lot to get well, to with the Bird, or a lot of big decisions for the Eagles coming up. You have the scouting combine, which is that's kind of when all the, you know, everyone is there, all the leadership from each organization between, you know, owners, general managers, agents. Um, you know, so so a lot of a lot of stuff gets done, and, and, and right now the Eagles aren't really in a good. As far as cap room goes, they're not really in a good spot. So a lot's going to depend on you know a lot of these guys coming off the books, what's going to be available. But you know, this draft is extremely important for the Philadelphia Eagles, and again, I, I think it's very important for them to go to the combine and try to find a, dra- a trading partner for Nick Foles because. Just like you mentioned before, when it comes to the franchise tag, that means you have a two-week window right now, two weeks, to make that decision. You know, if the Eagles decide to franchise him, that means he's probably going to be tagged for one year at $25 million, which, again, something they can't afford. So, hey, you got to find a trade partner. If not, you just let Nick Foles walk in free agency, and then you take your chances with possibly getting a compensatory third-round pick in the 2020 draft. Right. So, you're right. There's, there's going to be a lot going on. There's certain positions. Now, I think the biggest need in the Eagles in the offseason is running back. And just like you said, I would really like to see them draft somebody really high. I would say maybe not in the first round, but they do have two second-round picks. And I would like to see them go after a running back with one of those two seconds, for sure. So, Colin Kaepernick reaches a settlement with the National Football League. It's undic- uh, undisclosed. There's varying reports on what he got. You know, I heard a pretty good, I don't want to say argument or, or I guess really just a take or, or an opinion that you know, the Colin Kaepernick situation was much more, it's kind of twofold. It was social injustice, A, and then it turned into he lost his job. 
uh, for all intents and purposes, allegedly because of collusion with the NFL and the owners and the ownership getting together and saying they're not going to take a chance on a guy like this. Now he's been out of football two years. So Kaepernick gets a settlement from the NFL, which certainly helps him financially because, again, he's lost work. He has a Nike endorsement now. But the other part of it, the thing that started all this kneeling during the national anthem was about social injustice and police brutality and inequality, and that doesn't get settled by a settlement. Now, does the NFL admit fault here by paying him? I guess you could say that, but Kaepernick, or Kaepernick doesn't necessarily help his situation for the greater good of the African-American community and all those things he was fighting for by getting paid. So he gets paid to sort of say, hey, you haven't been able to work because of, allegedly, this collusion. But certainly there was a bigger picture for him and Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins and the rest of the players that were standing up for what they believed was right. So interesting that a settlement was reached. They can't talk about it because of the court system. We'll see if anything eventually leaks that's more concrete than what we've heard. But uh, at least for now, the NFL can wash its hands of what was a, a pretty bad situation for the National Football League for a couple of years. Well, well, totally messy. And we all knew that at some point the NFL was going to lose. And another black guy in the face of Roger Goodell. I mean, this is just another situation that was just handled terribly. Right, and um, guess what, though? The NFL, like most times and most sports leagues, when they get in a spot like this, they just pay their way out of it, you know? I mean, what exactly, exactly right. what's going to happen no with the concussion doubt. lawsuits is eventually guys are just going to get paycheck or a check cut their way and they'll walk away and they'll just keep trying to pay off things that they can afford to pay off until, you know, some of these black eyes and these sticky situations go away. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality of big business. They'll just pay it and move on. It's like paying a speeding ticket. No, you're, you're completely right. And I just think like, you know, I look at a company, there was a number of leaks. It was like sixty to eighty million dollars. The question is, it sounds like a know, lot, he, to be honest. I don't know, man. You think that I mean, he would? He wouldn't have made sixty million dollars playing the last two years. No question about it. And then there was a rumor floated that the AAF. He said he wouldn't play unless he was offered twenty million dollars. Which, again, that might have been some rumors, some joke. But the bottom line is, look, he wasn't that great of a quarterback. So. Like, I know people, now don't get me wrong, he was definitely better than some of the draft that got brought in above him. There's no question about it. There, there's no question the guy deserved a job, and he was completely blackballed. I mean, it's it, apparently the reason why all this stuff is sealed up in the courts, because the, the evidence apparently is so damning, it's so prevalent of how bad they handled this, that it was just true. Them. So the NFL had no other choice to sell. And it just shows that, you know, why do you settle, right? Why do any of these athletes that are getting in trouble, why do they settle right out of court? They settle because they're freaking guilty. I mean, it's that simple. You know, look at big Ben Roethlisberger. He had that incident. You know, sorry to bring you up, Ben. You're such a such a great guy in the community. Yeah. But you know, he, had, he had that incident down in Georgia, you know, where apparently, you know, he sexually assaulted a young lady down in, down in Georgia. And wh- how'd that go away? You know, he, he gave her an undisclosed settlement, you know, which she probably can never talk about what exactly happened because that was the rules. Hey, I'll give you four or five million dollars and you just never to be heard from again. So, you know, again, it's a win for Kaepernick because it was something that he stood up for. The question is, what is he going to do to make a difference, right? This whole thing 
all the social injustice. This protest was to, to make a difference in the country, to do things, maybe set up new programs, you know, get spread the word out there. So what is he going to do with some of that money? You know, the, I, clearly the guy never has to play football again. I did hear, you know, his attorney came out on CNN and kind of said that there's no doubt in my mind that he could be playing football, maybe look at the Carolina Panthers, possibly the New England Patriots. But, you know, a guy that stepped out of the year for two leagues, I mean, for two years, and to come back in, it, it's not as easy as it looks. I mean, the, the one case in point that we can look at is a guy like Michael Vick, how, you know, he was away doing some time in Leavenworth, and he was able to kind of come back in and assimilate himself to the NFL. But it's not as easy as looking. And to be honest, and when the other thing we don't know is, you know, is there, and again, you know, I'm sure the lawyer's going to come out of this, but is there a thing in there that says that, like, hey, we'll pay you 68 million bucks if you never play in the league. So, right. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I don't know if they have that much power, but um, just another messy situation that the NFL is just washing their hands with, with green paper, as usual. Let's wrap it up with damn that's tacky. I'll start. You finish. Uh, you got it. This was sort of going to be a rant of mine, and when you mentioned you had a damn that's tacky, I figured I could spin it, and I, and I hope this sticks. But if any of you out there have been paying attention to the Carolina Hurricanes this season, they're doing something kind of somewhat outlandish for sports. And that is when they went at home, they're celebrating like nobody celebrated before. I'm talking full team celebrations. I'm talking stuff that you wouldn't even think would be possible in a professional sporting event, let alone an amateur sporting event. I don't want to say it's sort of circus, uh, circus act-ish, but it's just out there. Full team celebrations. The other day they pretended it was a baseball game and one of the players hit a walk-off and they all were jumping around at the home plate out on the ice and they've done uh, rowing their boat together and bowling where one player you know, throws his stick and the whole team falls down and they've been doing it and the crowd loves it and it's been their thing. And they're a decent team this year, the Carolina Hurricanes. And so they've gotten some flack at times from some old curmudgeons and guys that say, oh, well, this is disrespectful to the game and I get all that. But listen, hockey is a sport that polices itself. So if the other teams, granted they're off the ice because the game's over and the Hurricanes have won, they've gone back to their, you know, the visiting dressing room. If other teams are upset by it, trust me, they'll jot it down in their mental book. And the next time there's an opportunity to play the Hurricanes, if they feel that they've been slighted because of the full team celebrations, they'll take it in their own hands. That's hockey, always has been, always will be. That's what makes it such a great game. So... I'm not worried about the other team feeling slighted or embarrassed or, um, you know, upset, pissed off that the Hurricanes showed them up after a game. But one thing that did catch wind recently was old Don Cherry, Grapes as he's known, on Hockey Night in Canada. And a longtime great coach at a number of levels and a player. Don Cherry has made his living and his mark, and this isn't just my argument, I've seen it elsewhere. Don Cherry has made his living and his mark in recent years being on Hockey Night in Canada as being outlandish, being one of a large opinion, an even bigger ego, and his loud suits, the pinstripes, the designs. And he's always, it's must-watch TV because he's going to say something to get a reaction. He recently reacted to these Hurricanes and, you know, game-over celebrations, winning at home, calling them a bunch of jerks. He must have said it 10 times. Good job by the Hurricanes. They quickly capitalized. They've made Bunch of Jerks t-shirts, and they're already selling them. Why not? It's 2018. That's what we do. But Don Cherry, to me, with a very tacky move, like 
his 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 brand the last 20 years has been saying stuff making it about him watch me I'm going to say something crazy I'm going to wear a crazy suit doing it and it's all about me well the Hurricanes are having fun themselves which Don Cherry again has prided himself recently and he's made a lot of money on Hockey Night Canada in making it about him during intermissions once a week Saturday night Everybody in Canada is still tuned into Hockey Night in Canada because Don Cherry is going to do something ridiculous. He's going to say something. He's going to wear something. That's what he's been doing, making it about himself. So the Hurricanes are having some fun. They're making it about themselves. They're being unique. They're being out there. And Don Cherry rips him the other day, and he went off for you know 50 seconds showing just how out of touch he is, and he had no argument. He just kept calling him a bunch of jerks. And to me, that was as tacky as hell as it gets because Don Cherry, you know, weekly in Canada and beyond, has been making it about himself for so many years, making it about his personality and his brand and his style, and that's what's getting him paid. So Don Cherry should take a look in the mirror before throwing stones at the Carolina Hurricanes. Love it. Don Cherry, what a wacko. If this, you don't know Don Cherry, look him up. Ugh, good one, Jeff, good one. All right, brother, I bring it. One. You get a good one, man. This story kind of kind of came to light last week, and uh we're going to take to a different sport uh, as a single person. We're, we're going to talk about the game of golf. And there was a player on tour who is one of the most well-liked players in all the PGA Tour. I mean, his name is Matt Kutcher. And apparently, last year, when he won a tournament in Mexico, he ended up taking the purse, which is he ended up making about $1.25 million. So the general rule is that, you know, when you're working with your caddy. Now, a lot of these pros have their caddies with them that essentially caddy for them nonstop and they're like their full-time cat. However, then there's some events where you have a different cat. So it turns out that Matt Kutcher doing this tournament got this substitute caddy. They call him El Toucan and a Mexican caddy. And he made an agreement with them saying how much money he'd give him if he made the first cut, second cut, you know, if he won the tournament. Most of the time, just a general rule from what I understand and just kind of reading about it, that caddies, you know, they essentially for their week of work, they, they generally get anywhere between 5 to 10% of the purse, okay? So at $1.25 million, if Matt Kutcher gave L210 the 10%, it would have been $130,000, okay? He didn't do that. It turns out he gave L210 an envelope. Of $5,000. He made $1.25 million and he gave him $5,000. Now, let's keep put this in perspective. That's 0.38% of 1%. It's what the man made. So, again, El Toucan, he's come, he's camp, he was kind of pissed off about it. He kind of let Matt Kutcher and, and his agent know, listen, I feel really slighted here. Sort of like, okay, maybe we'll give you $15,000. So then Matt Kutcher tried to come out and defend himself saying, this is the agreement that they had. But listen, would it have killed him to throw him, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 after he made, let me say the number again, people, $1.25 million. And he's so well-liked on terms. So I, I got to come out and say, you know, I've always been, you know, you hear the rumblings of Matt Kutcher putts and he makes a putt and you hear the rumblings of, Huge, but to be honest with you, man, that is one of the tackiest moves we've heard all along. How bad professional sports 
tough for bad professional athletes. You know, and another guy, Tiger Woods, is a terrible tipper, right? But to give this man $5,000 after you won the tournament, you know, caddies are a very integral part when you're winning. Yeah, you got to take care of the hired help, man. Right, right. So it's like, listen, I get it. It's the player, it's the equipment, it's, it's that. But it also takes the strength of the caddy, kind of knowing the course, kind of knowing how you're hitting the ball. There's a lot of factors that go into caddying. If anyone's ever done it, I tried to do it. I was terrible. I didn't last too long. Um, but it's a lot harder than you think. But it was just such a disservice that Matt Kutcher came out and tried to defend himself about only giving the guy five grand. However, there was some resolution in this case. He ended up cutting him a check for $50,000. So I guess totally ended up getting $55,000. But damn, Matt Kutcher, that was so damn tacky. And listen, you totally would have just went with it unless somebody brought this to the media's attention and right. put that out there on social media. So, yeah, Whew. that's some tacky, tacky stuff there. All right, John, I mean, good stuff as always, brother. Appreciate everybody tuning in on the Brotherly Love podcast here on SoundCloud and iTunes. Probably have to take a hiatus next week. I'll be in Cali going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. Uh, hopefully it's not snowing because it's been snowing a ton here in corn country. Oh, man. Well, safe travels to Cali, Cali, Cali. We're supposed to get some snow here tomorrow. We'll see. Well, we've got about a foot here in the last 10 days and more coming. All right. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Brotherly Love Podcast. No Bryce Harper. No Bryce Harper. For John Meter, Joe O'Donnell. Until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.